Romans chapter 1 verses 16 to 17 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith and of course again it's that first verse that essential verse around which this whole epistle revolves verse 16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first or for the Jew first and also for the Greek you know when we saw a number of reasons last week why we could be found ashamed of the gospel of Christ for some perhaps it is the seeming irrelevance of this gospel to our modern day society you know, and again as I said before we went into a time of prayer the, the world is moving on and uh, well it's not moving on it's moving back uh, to where it was before the gospel came and shook up all the dust it's almost as if uh, the gospel came into the west and it shook up the dust and slowly but surely that dust is settling back down again and it seems that the gospel can be found can uh, be said to be of no relevance at all to the situation that we find ourselves in today and therefore there is a cause to be ashamed of something that has nothing to say to a community or to a society it also we saw last week that it might be because of its seeming weakness in light of today's great intelligence and technology and sort of secularism what on earth do we need the gospel for when we are we are what we are you know we're moving on we're getting up we're getting things together we've we've got men on uh, up, living up in, in space we've got probes on Mars we've, we've been to the moon what do we need God for what do we need to know about sin and about Jesus and about the cross we've moved on from there you know we've got better things education and, and, and technology that we can get by without this uh, irrelevant and weak gospel that these people seem to be peddling and of course another reason and the third reason that we looked at last week is it's offence it is an offensive thing the gospel no matter how palatable you put it how nice how wonderful and how great it seems and the world, the welcome was warm and, and this was happening and that was happening and we had a free cup of coffee at the end of the meeting the gospel is offensive of course it's offensive because it calls people sinners it tells people that they are, are useless without God they are bound for a Christless eternity without his sacrifice upon the cross and people don't want to hear that no we didn't want to hear it because it is offensive and especially in today's multi-faith multicultural society that we find ourselves in you know and of course there's the secular and there's the pagan as we are witnessing in our own time you know then we finished last week by looking at the reasons why such things should not be presenting us 
with the problem of being ashamed. And I want to carry on uh, in the, in, with that thought tonight as we go through the scriptures. Why shouldn't we be ashamed of this gospel? Why should we be proud of the gospel? That's the question that we must ask ourselves. You know, and uh, my first obvious answer tonight is the actual word itself. The word gospel. You know, when you read this verse literally, this is what you get. For I am not ashamed of the good news of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ. You know, and I ask you tonight, when has good news ever been something to be ashamed of? When has good news ever been irrelevant? When has good news ever been weak or offensive? Because we see good news as just that. It's good news. You know, boy, don't we need a bit of good news today? We need good news. It's, it's in such short supply. Pakistani mothers afraid to send their kids to school today because 19 students and if not more were killed in school yesterday. Kabul, a blast of a suicide bomber kills seven television reporters. Dame Janet Smith's report 61 incidents of sexual assault including four rapes and one attempted rape by Jimmy Savile. This is some of the fare that we get when we switch on the news. There is nothing good. Nothing at all that is good. But let me tell you what an angel said once. He said, don't be afraid, for I behold I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. So it's not only good news for us, it's good news for all people. You know, and Jesus speaks and talks of his role as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. And I think it's verse 10. And this is what he says. He says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. You want know, that's the bad news. That's the bad news. I wouldn't know that's something to be ashamed of. That's something to be frightened of. That's something to, to go back and think, no, I don't want any more bad news. But then Jesus goes on and says, I have come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now that's the good news. The gospel is nothing short of good news. The good news of the gospel. You know, if you remember those four lepers, I'm so grateful for them four lepers. For they can bring them into every sermon that they can preach. Four lepers sat sitting outside Samaria, preparing to die. Inside, Samaria was besieged, and inside there was no food. In fact, they were eating each other. Around the corner was the Assyrian army who were doing the besieging. And to go to them would mean certain death. And they decided that if we go in the city, we'll die. If we sit by you, we'll die. If we go to the enemy, we'll die. I tell you what, we'll go to the enemy. Perhaps they will 
have mercy on us and give us something to eat before they kill us and of course they off they went and they travelled over uh, the mile or so to the enemy camp and found it empty the enemy had fled for some reason no one knows why the enemy fled but they'd gone but the most important thing is they left all the food there you know these four lepers they couldn't believe their eyes they looked in this tent and saw gold and silver and precious stones they looked in this tent and saw meat and fruit and milk and wine you know they gouged themselves on this wonderful fair that they had found everything that they could wish for you know as they sat having had they fill they became convicted we are not doing right they said this is a day of the gospel this is the day of good news and the conviction came and we remain silent whoever kept good news to themselves you know, you were bursting at the seams when good news is brewing you know something great and someone else don't and it is the greatest feeling of all that you are going to spill the beans and you're going to look at that person's face and see it beam with delight because you brought good news of great joy to all people and that's what the gospel is that's exactly what the gospel is no we live in a country where the people are living in the dark they got no idea what is there for them what God offers to them this great hope of eternal life and salvation freedom from sin freedom from the power of sin it's all there and they don't know but we do we've got a brim full of good news to tell and whoever kept good news to themselves the, the lepers couldn't because they rushed to the city and told Jesus couldn't because he stood up in the street corners even though it might meant that he was stoned and he preached the gospel the disciples couldn't they preached the gospel and most of them lost their lives but good news is like that good news is infectious and you want to tell someone what you've heard and what you've understood you know, I remember a man preaching once in, in the conference I think it was and he, uh, he was talking of a person in his church a businessman from the city someone that you wouldn't expect to, uh, to find Christ or be excited by him you know this young man he, he found the Lord Jesus Christ as his saviour and he was going through town and he'd seen his friend you know and there he was in his, in his car hurtling through town he screeched to an alt wound the window down shouted to his friend he says buddy I found something and I gotta tell you I'll meet you tonight at 6 o'clock in the cafe couldn't wait to tell his friend the good news whoever keeps good news to themselves that's the first reason tonight but notice also that it's the gospel that is the power of God it's the gospel that is the power of God you know that can't be right surely I'm surely I read that wrong surely the gospel is about the power of God surely the gospel is a description of the power of God it's merely saying something about this great power of God no it can't be the gospel is about God telling me what I need to do to receive salvation 
Surely the, go- the gospel is a, a statement of what God has done about our salvation. You know, when you think about it, all those things are, are quite true. But when you read this verse, this is what it says. The gospel is the power of God. I am not ashamed, he says, of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God. Now that's quite clear to me. What is the power of God? You think of lots of things that we would sort of say is the power of God. His word, his hand, his mouth, his servants, his Holy Spirit. Is this, is that. But Paul says, the gospel is the power of God. You know, to me, this has got a point to the absolute supernatural essence of this gospel that we preach. The gospel is God's way of saving us. This is how he produces salvation in us. You know, and Paul, I think, has said this somewhere else. This is not a just a one-off. This is not a slip of the pen. This is what he really believes. In 1 Corinthians 1 it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. What is the power of God? The message of the cross. The gospel itself is the power of God. It's the message, the cross, the gospel. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. How is salvation produced in us? Through the message preached. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God. And the wisdom of God. This is how God saves us. Through the message preached. Now I don't know if you've ever seen that before. But that's exactly what this is saying. What saves me? The gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God. It's the power of God. Oh, if we could only see miracles. Oh, if only the church was being able to move out in miracles. Oh, if we only saw some supernatural signs. Oh, if only the church could produce supernatural signs. Oh, if only had amazing personal testimonies. Oh, if only the church could boast about their testimony of meeting with... And I'm, I'm going to be honest. All those things, they have impact value. But it is the gospel preached that alone saves people. Because the gospel itself is the power of God. It's not talking about the power of God. It's not describing it or defining it. It is it. How did God save? He saves through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why you and I, we need to be sure that every time we preach, we preach the gospel. Because then God's power is released into every circumstance and situation we find ourselves in. On a Sunday night, we preach the gospel. When we're in work and we are witnessing, we are preaching the gospel. Don't preach the church. Don't preach worship. 
Don't even preach healings. Preach the gospel because there the power of God is. It is the gospel that say alone saves people. Why shouldn't we be ashamed of the gospel? Well, the third reason I got down tonight is that it works. That's ABC in it. That's simple. The gospel works. It is effective. No, we are here tonight. Why? Because we've been touched by the gospel. We've had our eyes opened by the gospel. We're in a living relationship with God because of the gospel. There's no other reason. There's no other reason why we've come tonight. It's because, simply because, of the gospel. It's efficacious in every way. You know what a miserable mess we've made of trying to save ourselves. Look out into the world and think of all the ravages uh, we see because of people trying to save themselves. Ever since our initial split with God, man has tried to reform himself or protect himself. You know, you go back to uh, the Tower of Babel. You could start there. You know, it goes further than that. And you could go right back to Cain. Or we could go back to Adam and Eve with fig leaves. Cain with fruit. Enoch, the other Enoch, Cain's son, with a city. They all trying to protect themselves. But when it comes to Babel, they, this is what it says, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Up until then, a city was okay. And that's why they built cities, to protect themselves. But of course, the flood meant that they needed something taller than the city. You know, in Jaws, they needed a bigger boat. In Babel, they needed a taller tower. Because they'd seen what the flood could do. You know what, it's man's tiny little effort to save himself. And ever since the fall, man has philosophized about his morality, about his education, about his technology, about his constitutions, about his law, and about his abstinences. And that's what we try. We try all those things to try and put ourselves right. But to what avail? You know, in November, a film came out called Spotlight. And it was um, on film 2016 last night, I think. And it's about a group of Boston journalists who have uncovered the child abuse committed by hundreds of Catholic priests in Boston alone. Men who ironically are forced to abstain from marriage to keep themselves pure and concentrate their minds on the things of God. That's the law of the Roman Catholic Church. Abstinence to keep yourself pure. And yet hundreds, not one or two, but hundreds in one state alone have committed mass abuse, sexual abuse on children. They tried you know, the Catholic Church could be very sincere in what it believes and in, in what it uh, legitimizes. But these men shows that you can't save yourself. 
You know, if you remember John Major, he brought in a moral policy a number of years ago called Back to Basics when he was the Prime Minister. You know, when you looked at, uh, at the history of that, or if you lived through it like we did, you will know that it blew up in his face in more ways than one. And one being Edwina Curry. The man wanted us to go back to basics, the basics of morality, and yet at the same time, being one of the most immoral people in government. He tried. He was sincere. But it gave his critics the opportunity to call him hypocrite of hypocrites. Why? Because you can try as you want to. You can be as sincere as you want to. You will give it, you can give it your best shot. You can abstain. You can be moral. You can be sincere. But you cannot affect your own salvation. Because it is impossible. And then Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to the salvation of everyone who believes. There's only one means of salvation. There's only one means of freedom from sin. And from the power of sin. And the consequences of sin. And that is through the blood of Christ. Preached in the gospel of Christ. Paul's testimony as we read his epistles. Is enough for us to know that it doesn't work. Because he was one of them. He was one of them. I think I've said it a couple of weeks ago. According to the law, blameless. That's a big word, isn't it? Blameless. Blameless. I am perfect as far as the Lord is concerned. But immediately he saw Jesus. He realized that he was the chief of sinners all the time. He couldn't do it himself. In fact, he says, when the law came, I died. Because the law brought into me desires I never even knew I had. I didn't even know what it meant to covet until the law said, don't covet. And then I started to covet. You know, and that's what the law does. And that's what every human endeavor does. It drags us away from God rather than to Him. It embroils us more into sin than ever it releases us from sin. You know, Paul's testimony is enough for us to know that it doesn't work. That God does consider us, that it does work, sorry. That God does consider us righteous and holy in His sight through the shed blood of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Although He knew no sin, became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. How do we get to that place? Accept it. No condemnation. How do we get there? By our own endeavours? Of course not. It's the gospel that works. It's the gospel that is efficacious. Oh, what does it mean when we talk about salvation? You know, salvation hasn't always got to be religious. It hasn't got to have religious tones. You know, when I look for a couple of quotes, just uh, or a couple of definitions of salvation, you wonder, this is a quote I picked up, but just a little saying really. The book was my salvation from boredom. The book was my salvation from... That's got nothing to do with Christianity or religion or anything. 
No, the book was his salvation early. Been bo- so bored sitting on that deck chair uh, on Western Beach all day. Right? That book saved me from the boredom that I would have endured. And of course, there's another one. Tourism has been the salvation of this island. Tourism. What would we do without tourism? We'd go to the wall. There'd be no money here. There'd be no jobs. No future. But tourism has come. And it has been the salvation of the island. Salvation is about delivering something to someone. It's about releasing someone from something. But you know, in the, in the context of Romans, the gospel is a unique view of what salvation is. And we can see that it deals specifically with sin. Sin. Salvation is the fact that man has been delivered or saved from sin. Here is the problem. We're not saved from boredom. We're not saved from ill health. We're not saved from uh, mental health issues. We are saved from sin. I wish the church would understand that again. You know, when we go back 20 years and a great evangelistic event took place in the country called Jim. And when you looked at the posters for Jim, every one of them carried a pair of eyes that were moist. Are you depressed? Are you distressed? Are you sad? Are you lonely? Are you this? Are you that? And you could look, and you could look, and you could look. And one thing you couldn't find was, are you a sinner? Sin dropped out of that evangelistic outreach. And the church began to, to sort out people's felt needs. Are you lonely? Come to Jesus and be happy. Are you sad? Come to Jesus and be happy. Are you lonely? Come to Jesus and have some company. No. No, that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about at all. Salvation is about saving people from sin. Sin. That's the problem in, in the world today. Yeah, it makes us lonely. And it makes us sad. And it makes us distressed and depressed. But it's sin that's the problem. No, we so easily, we so easily sidetracked into treating the symptoms rather than the core of what's wrong with humanity. Humanity has lost God and is deep dyed in sin and needs sin to be dealt with. That's why the cross is here. That's why the gospel is here. It's sin. Sin. Man has been delivered or saved from sin. Now that's quite a broad statement. Sin. So I want to break it down very simply. And um, we could say that first of all, man has been delivered from the guilt of sin. The guilt of sin. Now we aren't going to go very far in this epistle to realize how that guilt comes. In fact, in the next two verses from the one I read tonight, Paul says that two, these are two revelations from God. Isn't it great to have a revelation from God? Peter had a great revelation from God. God told him that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I thank God that I've had similar revelation from God. That God has told me that Jesus is God and He's my Savior. And He died for my sins. That's my revelation. But Paul was having quite a few. 
In fact, he wrote 13 epistles all about his revelations from God. And the first revelation that he had from God is found in verse 17. And he says, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God. That is the standard. That is the minimum standard required to have fellowship with God. You just sang it, I'm accepted, I'm loved, I'm fathered by God. How? What is the minimum? Minimum standard required to have fellowship with God. Well, it's been revealed to us. We could say that it is the law of God as given to Moses. And if you were to go and look at the law of God as given to Moses, you would see that it is an impossible document. And it would condemn the greatest of sins. You take the best saint that have ever walked the earth and you multiply him by ten and he still has failed to keep the law. You only need to wonder sometimes, is it worth trying? Because there's not one of us are going to succeed. But then, secondly, in the next verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. So not only is the righteousness of God revealed, which would condemn us and uh, help us to realize or cause us to realize that we are in no way able to keep the law, God then reveals His wrath against the broken law. And therefore there is this foreboding that ever to meet up with God has got to be the worst thing that we could ever imagine. Because the law of God condemns us to the wrath of God. And that's where we stand. I think it's all to do with loneliness and homelessness and depression and distress. It's all to do with guilt. The guilt of sin and the consequence of sin. The guilt of sin is because the righteousness of God is revealed. The consequence of sin is because the wrath of God is revealed. So we're all condemned by the law and we're all under the wrath of God. You know, if he was, we've only got to go to Ephesians chapter 2 and we'll see that. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like others. You know, and something has got to be done. Something has got to be done. If we're going to re- remedy such a dire state, something has got to be done. You know, and the good news of the gospel is that something has been done. Amen. Because the gospel declares that we have been delivered from the law of God. Free from the law. Oh happy condition. Jesus has died. And we have remission. We've been delivered from the law of God. And therefore we have escaped the wrath of God. And the wrath of God holds no more sway. And therefore when we come to chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus. But there's more than guilt attached to sin which got to be dealt with. It's been dealt with. But there's more than that. Because there's the power of sin 
that we need to understand the power of sin what did Jesus say? Jesus said he who sins is a slave to sin and there is our problem the biggest problem that we have that sin has a hold over us a grip that we by ourselves cannot escape from you know I've often used the uh, example of the addiction of alcohol or the addiction of drugs to say that such a hold is almost impossible to break free from and yet we know that there are great stories of some who have kicked such addictions and lived their lives helping others to do the same yeah I'm not saying it's easy I'm not saying it's a foregone conclusion you know we saw we've seen celebrities drinking themselves to death we've seen celebrities drugging themselves to an early grave people who've been warned who've been to rehab who seem to have kicked it one moment and have gone back like a dog to its vomit the next it's a difficult thing but there have been cases where people have kicked such addiction but do you know there is no such success story with sin history records not one single example of a person freeing himself from the power of sin and therefore self-help groups for sin do not exist do not exist you can have self-help groups for everything but you can't have a self-help group from sin because there's no one who has delivered himself from it but God but God I thank God there's a but God in the story of the power of sin this is what Paul says for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law but under grace God has stepped in and he has taken away the power of sin that is over us you know I predict I've got a prediction now we are going to spend and this to say I might lose half the congregation here but it's a chance I'm going to take I predict that we are going to spend an awful lot of time between Romans 5 verse 12 through chapter 6 on to chapter 7 and into chapter 8 because this is where this whole doctrine will be worked out freedom from sin freedom from the law no condemnation that's 6 7 and 8 because that's where it's all going to be taught you know those chapters are actually the reason why I have chosen to study this book and I've got to be honest I can't wait to get there because they are absolutely incredible and every week God willing he's going to show us something that's going to blow our minds you know we touched a little bit uh, on this freedom from sin from the power of sin in one of our starting from scratch courses a number of years ago but what we got to look forward to in the book of Romans is that we're going to look at it in depth and we're going to really understand it really understand it one man has said that he wouldn't preach on Romans until he understood chapter 6 so I'm hoping that all of us by the time we get to chapter 8 we'll have understood what chapter 6 is all about 
because that is the releasing agent that every Christian needs to have. Chapter 6 of Romans. Once a person has got chapter 6 of Romans under his belt, he's walking in the victory. Until he has chapter 6 under his belt, he's not in victory. So that's uh, an amazing prediction that I stand on the pulpit and make. I'm relishing. I'm relishing coming on to those chapters. But boil it all down. And you find that it is the gospel that deliver, delivers us from the power of sin as well as the guilt of sin. And then, of course, we mustn't forget the pollution of sin. Pollution. The fact that we are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. That is, we have a sinful nature. Now, you aren't going to preach this from the pulpit anymore because the world is showing its sinful nature. It's there for everyone to see. You know, and um, we mustn't forget the sinful nature because we are guilty of blaming Satan for everything. But do you know, I believe that if Satan died today, it wouldn't make an apath of difference to this world because we can be corrupt and sinful enough without his help because we are born with a sinful nature Paul says in chapter 7 but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members O wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death then he goes on and says I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. You know, this is the battle that we will face throughout the, all of our lives as the sinful nature wars against the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Sometimes it overcomes, sometimes it's subdued. And that's what we'll be looking at in chapter 7. But listen to this. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her in order that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, in order that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That's the gospel. That's salvation. You know, Jude goes even further. And he says, to the one who is able to present us faultless. Faultless. Can you imagine being faultless? Because I can't. I don't know what that would mean to be faultless. But God has got it all under control. He is able to present us faultless before who? Before you? No. I could present myself as faultless before you if I tried hard enough and pulled the wool over your eyes enough. Present us faultless before the throne of God. You know, and that's the gospel in all its power. In all its power. The guilt of sin dealt with by the gospel of Christ. The power of sin dealt with by the gospel of Christ. The presence of sin will eventually be dealt with by the gospel of Christ. You know, we could go on. And we could go on, and we could go on. We could talk about the reconciliation with God that this gospel assures. You see, the guilt that caused Adam and Eve to run and hide 
from the voice of God in the garden has been replaced by the gospel with joy, the joy of communion with God through the gospel. You know, as we enter the presence of God with boldness to look upon His glory. That's what we've done tonight. We've come round His throne of grace. We've been at His throne worshipping Him, glorifying Him. None of us have run to hide. We haven't been embarrassed or condemned. We've been bold to go to the throne of grace. Why? Because we've been reconciled. The blood of Christ has reconciled each and every one of us. Restoration. Restoration is assured. And all that Adam lost has been restored and more through faith in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us upon the cross. It's no wonder that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because all these things had been revealed to him and rescued him from ever being tempted to be ashamed. You know, the book of Romans, that I spent weeks bragging about before we started, bragging about how it will change us, is about to do just that. Change us. Now I believe that we are embarking upon a journey of revelation that is so powerful, so life-changing, that it should come with a government elf warning. I don't think we'll ever be the same again. And I, my prayer is that we will be open to all what God is saying to us through this dynamic portion of God's precious word. You know, there's, in months to come, we are going to emerge from chapter 8. You know, and, um, do you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to walk through the tunnel from Blaine Ronda up to... Uh, Abergwynfi I think it is I love to walk through this it's, it's, I think it's about a mile an hour or two miles long something like that and of course uh, my um, experience of walking through tunnels when I was down a bit you know I never walked out into the light I had to catch a a, a cage to come up I never walked out I'd, like, I'd love to walk through a tunnel and walk out into the light perhaps I'd come this way and walk out to the light in the blind wander that'd be a nicer sight but Pauline could be there with a car then to take me home (laughs) you know and this is what I've seen today as I was studying this we're going through a tunnel or we're going to be going through a tunnel chapter 5 verse 12 into chapter 6 to chapter 7 freedom from sin Chapter 7, freedom from the law of sin and death. Chapter 8, no condemnation. No possibility of being separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. More than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. And we're going to come out of chapter 8. And we're going to come out into God's glorious light. And we're going to see things like we've never, ever seen them before. And I believe that those who stick with this service, you know, and I know perhaps I've got an ulterior motive, because it's not much fun preaching to a wall, but it is good fun preaching to people. And if we stick together as a Thursday night group and perhaps even grow, I believe that we will become somebody different. We will be unrecognizable. 
from who we were. And we look back and think, I never knew anything about Christianity in comparison with what I know now. That's my prayer. That's my desire. So I've got number you. Hold on to your hats. Bent up. And let's get ready for the ride of our lives. Because that's what I see this Bible study turning into as we go through those chapters. The ride of our lives.